I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. So ever since I was a child, I've always really identified with these lyrics from Simon and Garfunkel, primarily because I felt isolated from people, and I felt alone. I felt like most people have been born with a secret key in their DNA that helped them learn how to make friends and keep friends and have other people care about them. But it was something that was missing when I was born. And it probably didn't help matters that I was born to an angry and abusive alcoholic mother. It's not really an experience I would recommend for many people. <laughs> but throughout grade school, I was the person the misfits picked on. Yes, that's how low on the totem pole I was. And of course, when we moved into high school, also known as a barbaric and evil social Darwinian experiment, things like that. <laughs> But then I went to college and I felt like something tremendous had happened. Somehow that key I had been missing from birth was suddenly given to me because I had a group of friends and I felt very close to the people that I went to college with. I thought, holy fuck. <laughs> it took a really long time to get here, but I'm here now. And I thought, well, this is just going to be great from now on. Except I didn't realize when we graduated from college, we would disperse from across the country and I would be alone again. So a couple of years ago, I started doing half marathons. And I thought, well, this is great. The running and walking community are very welcoming people and they will welcome me and I'll have friends this way. However, when you're a fat, slow athlete, you wind up doing your training walks by yourself. And you wind up doing most of your races by yourself. And it probably would have really gotten to me, except I did have one escape, and that was books. It didn't matter that people didn't like me in grade school, because in my books, I was the cool kid. And it didn't matter that I didn't date in high school because I was dating Mr. Darcy. <laughs> and it didn't matter that I was walking by myself because my characters came along from the books I would read and they didn't give a damn how slow I was out there. And I wasn't happy with my life. And I wasn't, but I was content. And it was good enough until this last July when I became very ill. I, there was a trifecta of reasons why I got so ill. The first being that I was on immune suppressing drugs. The second reason was because um, I had done a half marathon the weekend before I got so sick and it just totally tanked my system. And the third reason was because I have Kaiser Insurance, whose model is 
cheerfully killing patients with indifference since 1930. <laughs> 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 so as I say, I got very ill, very fast, with very little warning. And although it was a systemic illness throughout my entire body, the primarily, primary place where the infection settled was my left leg. And it was so disgusting and gross and horrifying that I, changed, I stopped thinking of my left leg as my left leg, and I started thinking of it as Fester. And Fester was nasty. <laughs> he was like those three-day-old house guests that you could never get rid of. <laughs> and Fester and I, we went through five stages of grossness together. The first stage being the alien infestation stage. And in this stage, my leg grew to twice the size of my other leg. It was fire engine red, and I developed a pus blister the size of a girl's softball on my leg. And I had high fevers and was pretty much in and out of consciousness <clears throat> through this period. And the reason why we thought of this as the alien infestation stage was we figured my leg was getting so big there had to be aliens getting ready to eject from the <laughs> Well, from the alien infestation stage, we went to the zombie infection stage. So named because it looked like zombies had been gnawing on my leg. There was a huge crater in it that you could stick a soft, uh, excuse me, a golf ball in. And the pus blister had broken and I leaked fluids for over four days straight, so much so that we would use a bath towel and fold it in force, and we would have to get a new one within a couple of hours. It was really gross. So from the zombie infection stage, we went to the leprosy stage. And in the leprosy stage, my skin started sloughing off in the showers and other times. Again, not really a high point. From there we went to Miguel Gorbachev's forehead stage. <laughs> and it was named this because it was red and it was cratered and there was a huge mark on, on my leg. And from that stage, we went to the stage I'm currently still in, which is the giant hickey stage, <laughs> where it looks like someone got really, really, really excited with my leg. <laughs> now, in my professional life, I am a case manager who works with people who have developmental disabilities. I am their advocate. I am their, the person who coordinates services for them. I am the person who makes sure that the programs that they're working with um, are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if a program's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, I'm the one 
who kicks ass and takes names. When I became so ill, I, I went from being the person who did all this to being the person who needed someone to do this for me. I fucking hated every minute of it because I like to believe that I'm a pretty independent person and having to rely on someone else just freaked me out. Not to mention the fact that, frankly, I didn't think there was anyone I could rely on to help me out. And I was about to be very pleasantly shocked, amazed, and beyond overwhelmed by the kindness and the generosity of other people. So being so sick, everything just became such a difficult endeavor to do. Basic everyday things, even things like going to the bathroom for my bed felt like I was trying to mount an expedition to the Antarctic. <laughs> and of course, I was supposed to be eating during this time because my body was trying to fight this infection, but I couldn't cook. And I didn't feel much like doing it anyway. So, But then I was really pleasantly and amazingly surprised when people started bringing me food. And the first trendsetter for this, Michelle, came over one night with an amazing meal. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to answer the door when she came because I was cuddling with my new best friend, Vicodin. <laughs> <laughs> But instead of, bringing, instead of taking herself back with her, she was kind enough to leave it on the porch so that when I was able to swim back to the surface, it was there waiting for me. And then there was Seth, my sister's friend, who I always thought just tolerated me because of her. However, when she was called away for a few days during my illness, he was kind enough to bring me food and to check in on me and make sure I was okay. And I know it was the end of the day, and he was probably eager to get back to his family, but he never appeared to be rushing to get out of home. And then there were these two crazy ladies who I had just started to develop a friendship with. And they cooked enough food <coughs> to feed my entire neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was Annie who brought me banana nut muffins. And they may not have been her sexy muffins, but I'll, I'll take her banana nut muffins any day of the week. Because who can die when you have banana nut muffins? <laughs> the other thing that became very hard for me was all this downtime I had. I was used to working, and I was used to training, and that was pretty much my life. Well, I went to sitting in a chair or sitting in, laying in bed all day. And that was very hard for me. However, again, people came through in amazing ways. Like when Amber Two came over and got her geek on with me to watch several episodes of Big Bang Theory. <laughs> or when Millicent, when I was finally starting to feel a little bit better and I could leave the house, but I couldn't drive myself at that point, she would take me out on rides and out for lunch to try and help me ward off a little bit of the panic that I was feeling because I was stuck in the house all the time. 
there was my yoga teacher who checked on me a couple of times to make sure I was going to be able to recover and come back to class again. And then there was countless people who called me or texted me or got on Facebook with me just to check in and make sure I was okay. And then I was gonna pull through this and I was going to pull through with both legs, which was a bit of a question at one point. The other thing that was very hard for me was not going to work for six weeks. And that was really, really difficult for someone who's used to going to work all the time. And who feels like the earth will shatter if I'm not there for my clients. But again, people stepped forward to help me out. There were people who stepped forward and checked in on my most vulnerable clients. There was Barb, who would keep me up to date on the shenanigans of my coworkers. <laughs> Annie, who so wonderfully smuggled out my Blackberry for me so that at least I could peek in on the, on the emails to see what was going on. And there was my boss who would call me with, I'm sure, just a five-minute question about one of my clients, and I would keep her on the line for the next hour, <laughs> checking in to see how they're all doing. And she never once said, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but by far, the biggest and most amazing contribution during this time came from my coworkers. As I've mentioned, I was off week work for six weeks. Three of those weeks, I was able to use my own vacation and sick time, but then I ran out. I had, and I didn't know what I was going to do with three more weeks with unpaid time. Generously, kindly, anonymously, my coworkers banded together and donated their vacation time. So there was not a single day that I was off of work that I didn't get paid. In fact, they donated so much time to me that I could have been gone for another two or three weeks. <laughs> so physically, this was one of the most difficult periods of my life. But emotionally, it was such a huge change. And I learned some really important things from this. First of all, I learned that daytime TV really sucks. <laughs> I also learned that, though I didn't want to admit it, and I still get jittery thinking about it, my clients will survive if I'm not in the office. But most importantly, I learned I'm not an island. I'm not a rock. And people really do care about me. Thank you.